This is No More Normal. I'm Khalil Lekolona. 158 years ago, President Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation, putting an end to slavery in the United States. News traveled slowly in those days. No social media to spread the word. But this executive order took an especially long time to get to all corners of the country. Two and a half years, in fact. On June 19, 1865, Union soldiers arrived in Galveston, Texas, where the last enslaved people were told of their freedoms. From that moment on, African-Americans have celebrated June 19th as the end of slavery in their communities, towns, and cities. What do they celebrate? Freedom, for one. There's also a theme of remembering our ancestors who survived almost unfathomable hardships so we can be here today. I'm emancipating myself from toxicity, toxic work environments, toxic social media experiences, done with that. You know, we're, we're trying to do better because we've realized how hard it is to survive. And we've also had time to sit and think and be like, what's been going on in my life that I've been allowing to happen that is complete and total crap? How does celebrating emancipation resonate right now with the fight against racist police violence reignited? 2021 also marks a century since the Tulsa massacre. How does that history call to the celebrations of freedom at this moment? On the show this morning, we meet some New Mexicans and discover how Juneteenth and its meaning reflects in who they are today. And we walk through what they think about being black in the land of enchantment. Hey, let's play a game. Do you recognize this voice? With a career spanning over three decades, he's one of the hardest working men in television. He's Jerry O'Connell. Maybe this will help. Hey, you guys, I'm Jason from the RuPaul's Drag Race Pit Crew, and you're watching Ring My Bell. Let's take some calls. Jason? Yes, this is Jason. Hi. Hi. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you got through. It's your lucky day. You could die a happy woman. Here's another hint. In our own community, we'll be the first to go, we'll go to a church and you'll hear pastors denouncing LGBTQ plus and, and things of that nature. How do you feel about that? Because that when we talk about when we talk about race and LGBTQ plus, it's always such a, a, a delicate balance and a delicate situation. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm actually um, doing my best to push back against that. That's Jason Carter. He's part of the pit crew on RuPaul's Drag Race and host for the Young Turks. He also hosted Entertainment Tonight Live, and now he's heading up his own show, Jason Unleashed. But New Mexicans of a certain age may recognize him through this. Hello, New Mexico. Here we are, another dance, dance, dance. It's a team thing. And it's brought to us by, guess who? Bernalillo County Parks and Recreation Department. Am I excited and haven't we got a show for you tonight? Heck yeah. Guys, we barely started and we're already jamming. I yep, you know it. So if you want to come down and dance with teams from all over New Mexico, this is the place to That's be. Right. On the day of our interview, Miami was the place Jason B's when he zoomed in. Good to connect with you, brother. Glad to be back in the 505 and good to hear your voice. I'm glad you're doing well. Yes, yes, I am. You know, this episode is all about Juneteenth and we want to talk to, you know, notable African-Americans from New Mexico. You know, what does Juneteenth mean to you? 
You know, I think for a lot of people, Khalil, it, it varies. For me, Juneteenth is celebratory. Absolutely. It's a celebratory event. But we have to remember that Juneteenth is also very indicative of the treatment of people of color on these shores since we arrived here against mm-hmm. our will, right? So Juneteenth marks the day where all slaves were allegedly, reportedly freed. We know that, sure, in Texas and in southern states, that's what's been recorded as happening. But as far as validity of that, that stands to be still discovered because stories change throughout the years. There's different people's experiences are different. But I think about Juneteenth, it's just a celebratory moment for Black people. You know, we get the shortest month of the year for Black History Month. Now it seems like people are glazing over that. They're like, oh, Black History, it's Black History Month? Okay, I, I guess. So Juneteenth is that one time in the summer where we can get together with our families, our neighbors, the family we choose, our friends, and say, hey, you're black, I'm black, that's beautiful, right? And also we take a moment, much like Pride Month, where we take a moment to remember the people who gave their lives for us to be our ancestors' wildest dreams, because that's what we are, because we're privileged to do what we're doing right now, talk to each other using technology and be successful in our fields. Our forefathers, our ancestors could never have dreamed that for us, right? Yeah. So Juneteenth to me is just that celebration, but at the core of that, it's just remembering that, hey, We've endured. And you know what? We're resilient. That's what Juneteenth is. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Now, have you always celebrated Juneteenth? To be honest, no. And what's interesting is that in Albuquerque, there's always been a Juneteenth celebration at Tigway Park back in the day. My mom was taking us to Juneteenth, but, you know, it wasn't really until I got older and really started moving to the world and really becoming more familiar with my blackness that I started celebrating Juneteenth a little bit more. Because when you grow up black in New Mexico, the African-American community wasn't vast in Albuquerque, right? Me and my twin brother, my older brother, were one of like 10 kids in our school in Las Lunas that were black in the 90s, right? leaving Albuquerque and coming back and then leaving again and just being more aware of racial injustice of what blackness is because we're not a monolith. We're not homogenized where everyone's blackness is different. I started celebrating Juneteenth a little bit more, but I have to say that Albuquerque has an incredible African-American community. Albuquerque has been woke for a long time. New Mexico's known what's up for a long time. Now you mentioned something. You said you were here, you left, you came back and then you left again. So in that, do you remember a moment in your life where you were sure about the path you were on or that path that you would choose? I've always known what I wanted to do. If you ask anyone like that I went to high school with or anyone that knows me from around town, you know, I worked in radio. I worked at Kiss FM. I worked at Wild 106. I've always known that I was going to be in entertainment and be in television or some form of media ever since I was in middle school. Leaving New Mexico to pursue your dreams, the first time I did it was in the winter of 2001. Moved to LA, was going to dance for Janet Jackson. That was like the dream, right? So I got an agent, did all these things, and I just wasn't ready. So Mm -hmm. I was back in New Mexico in 2003, working at T-Mobile on Manal, car repossessed. Looking back on it now, it had to work out that way because I came back for three years and then I came back to LA and, and was there ever since for 16 years later. So I've always known the path that I wanted to go on. I always knew what I wanted to do. I made the right sacrifices and choices because I felt, well, if I'm sacrificing for what I want, then it's really not a sacrifice. I'm getting what I want. A lot of people would give up, yeah. but you didn't. You decided I'm going to persevere. I'm going to make sacrifices to move through. To me, that feels like it's in the interest of your own freedom of pursuing your goals. Is that similar? It's absolutely similar. To be honest, I felt trapped in New Mexico. And I I know that people say the land of entrapment. I don't think of New Mexico as a land of entrapment at all. I was in a really abusive relationship. Mm. I think when you're a man, especially 
men of color, black men, society puts on us this ideal that we have to overachieve. We have to be hyper successful because we're already looked at as not being successful. My high school principal told me I should drop out and get my GED. We're always told what we're not before what we are and what we can be and what we can become. Mm -hmm. I felt so captured and so trapped in my own disappointment, my own, my own ambition of where I wanted to go and didn't have the resources. So to answer your question, yeah, I, I did it for my freedom, but I fled to also save my sanity. It's like emancipation. And we're mm-hmm. looking at where we're at in 2021. A lot of people are looking to emancipate themselves. Yes, we're able to move freely around the country for the most part, but people still feel like their spirits, their minds are bound. What do ideas of emancipation mean to you currently seeing what we're facing as a people and as a nation? If emancipation is to release yourself and to take full autonomy over who you are, right? Like you own your being, you have removed yourself from the shackles of whatever they are and have full autonomy of who you are, your spirit, every facet, fiber and cell of your being. So I think for myself, I'm emancipating myself from toxicity, toxic work environments, toxic people, toxic self-talk, toxic social media experiences, done with that. We're trying to do better because we've realized how hard it is to survive. And we've also had time to sit and think and be like, what's been going on in my life that I've been allowing to happen that is complete and total crap that I haven't had the time to deal with. I haven't had the time to work through. I haven't had the time to extract. People are emancipating themselves in so many different ways. People are saying, hey, I'm LGBTQ plus deal with it. That's who I am. Why am I going to live a lie? That's a form of emancipation. People are quitting jobs. They've worked for 20 years because they're sick of not being valued, not being appreciated, not having representation in those rooms. That's Mm -hmm. emancipation. People are tired of working for people who are performative, who are saying we care about black people. We care about marginalized groups. Sure. But where is that care on a day to day basis? Where is that care in creative meetings? Where is that care when I greet you in the morning? Where is that care when it comes to raises? Representation and diversity are the ideals. It's the inclusion of those two things. That's the actionable item. Mm -hmm. So now people are just like, well, you went on social media last year and, and put up a black box and cried and said all these things about Black Lives Matter, but yet you still treat me like crap. You still say you still say the most off-color, microaggressive things about people of color. You still think that all gay men are flamboyant. You still think all this stuff. So people are emancipating themselves from that rhetoric. They're saying, I'm good. Two weeks, I'll figure it out. And there's power in saying no. There's power in walking away. So I think that's where we're at now emancipation is the turn of a page and the evolution of you as a person. You are no longer, as I said earlier, bound to those chains of the habits and the way you moved to the world before. And there's so much power in that. There's so much power when you can finally say, you know what? Nah, I'm good. And stand in that and not feel like you owe someone an apology for your decision. That's emancipation. That's powerful what you just shared. Thank you so much, Mr. Jason Carter, New Mexico's own host of Jason Unleashed. You can also see him on RuPaul's Drag Race. Jason, an honor to talk with you. Thank you very much, my friend. It's been an honor to hang out with you this afternoon, Khalil. All the best. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Sadiq Abdallah is an author, poet, and artist. He was kind enough to share some poems with us for our show today. All right, so this is a little bit of my lyrical content. This poem is called Parallels, and it goes like this. 
elevated echelon, the shelf that I am left upon, subtracting from the seven seas and left them with a hexagon. I am not the type of poet that you want to come and flex upon. Lest you be left a little ridiculous like an anorexic leprechaun. Spoken word is only one style of my communication. I got a panic-remic lexicon. My plate is African, Asiatic, serve you up, comedic, sexual I represent the planets I could care whatever set you on. I'm ancient and mysterious like Kemet and Akubalan. Whatever you've been poofing on got you thinking that you the bomb. My flow is vehicular. You standing still, I'm moving on. The highest height. I'm love, I'm light. But I can't be reached with a pair of L's. No pattern in particular. I intersect every intellect mentally. I'm perpendicular. That means I have no parallels. I inform a latter, antimatter, critical mass. It gets dispersed. Any counterweight is counterfeit. My only counterpart exists in a parallel universe. That means I mastered many different worlds. Manifested this one too. Polyvated down voodoo. My art is pure. But it's the blackamore that I'm fighting for. I'll show you what a true guy Sun Tzu parallels. We'll hear more poems from Sadiq throughout this episode, and you'll hear more about him, about his life and his take on Juneteenth. If you plan to attend a city council meeting or a town hall discussion or a community function, pretty much anything, you will see Nicole Rogers there. She's been a leader active in the community for a long time. She recently took a position with the city of Albuquerque as the African-American community and business liaison. She's about to do even more. I wanted to find out what she had planned and how she is celebrating a holiday with strong emotional weights. We met up to chat at Hollow Spirits Distillery as they set up for the day. It's one of her favorite places, a black owned business operated by her best friend and his mother where her brother is an investor and the executive chef. So can you tell me, like, can you think of times where you made decisions in the interest of your freedom? Oof. Yeah. I think the decision to apply for this new position at the city, mm -hmm. it's given me the freedom to work on my passions full time. It's surreal to be able to be planning things like Juneteenth. They're like, yeah, that's totally your, your work. And I'm like, even though I was doing it before, yeah, you know what I mean? So that's been surreal to be able to work on my passion work full time. Tell me a little bit about this position you have with the city. Yeah, so it's the African-American Community and Business Liaison. And so it's pretty new. There hasn't been, you know, much of a framework built for what I'm supposed to do. And so I'm really interested in getting in front of people and talking to folks and what does our community need mm -hmm. and really try to focus my work around that. Mm -hmm. The mayor was very clear to me what he wanted me to do, and it was to take resources from the city and make sure they get into our community. And that means everything from jobs, contracts, programs, assistance, whatever. I mean, there's a wealth of resources now that I'm learning how much is there mm -hmm. that we may not be able to tap into for whatever reasons. Okay. But I see that as my job is, you know, whatever resources are available, our community needs to tap into them. Also, a lot of the work is making sure departments in the city know that it's an expectation that these resources get to our community as well. And so working with them on, well, what is your outreach? Making sure that I'm also holding us accountable yeah. for getting that information out yeah. in a way that we meet people where they are. And I think that's a running theme mm. that we don't necessarily have yet. We just need to go to the, to the people. Right? Yeah. Just Take it straight to take the it people. Just go right to the people who are in need at the time. And the people who are in the need of the time, we're in a state where the population of black people is very low, mm -hmm. barely 3%, mm -hmm. if we even reach that point. 
maybe like 12 more people can move into the state and we'll be at 3%. I'm hoping we're waiting for that census data to come out. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. So how does that make Juneteenth feel different to you? Mm-hmm. Because we have such a considerably low amount of African-Americans here in the state. Yeah, I think for me, what makes it different is it's the imperative that we have a time to come together. Outside of black churches, there's not a lot of places and events where you can go that's just about us. I mean, there's just not a lot of spaces for that. So I think that's why Juneteenth here is imperative, not just important, but imperative for us to be able to see each other, connect with each other, so we can help each other. Yeah, yeah, and experience for other people who may not be African-American. Do you have friends or family who aren't black? who celebrate Juneteenth with you? Yeah, absolutely, definitely. My mom's Hispanic, so her and my dad made sure we come every year from Santa Fe to Albuquerque for Juneteenth. Okay. It's a big part of my upbringing, even in the state where there's not a lot of us. Yeah, there's a lot of my friends that are excited to come out and, you know, just celebrate with us. Mm -hmm. Because it's our liberation, just like we celebrate 4th of July with them. Yeah. I feel as it's the same type of thing for us. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the Black Lives Matter movement and all the hate that countered it, did that have an impact on your thinking about Juneteenth as we go into it this year? It did. It changed kind of how we organized in the way that we needed to be ready for counter type, like especially last year where we were in the middle of the civil unrest in June, we were in the middle of a pandemic we still felt it was important to get together and do something. But we were definitely mindful of that. Like if we do this, are the Proud Boys or Cowboys for Trump gonna show up at our Juneteenth event? Mm -hmm. Because it had happened, you know, in Rio Rancho at one protest that I was at. Yeah. And so that's something we were definitely mindful of and trying to scour social media to see, make sure that, you know, there was anything planned that we should know about. And this year, I think we have the same thought that, you know, we have to make sure we protect people in case something like that. I, I would hope not. Yeah. But it's definitely something that we've thought of these last two years that we really didn't have to think about yeah. before. This is not about any of that. Juneteenth isn't about any of that other than us just getting together and celebrating. And so we honestly call on the ancestors to protect us and keep us covered Mm -hmm. for that period of time. And that always has proved to be helpful. I mean, but as you you say that, that's kind of blowing my mind because 10 years ago planning Juneteenth, you wouldn't have had to think about this in that matter. But now, Mm -hmm. last year and going into this year, that has to be kind of on your mind in perpetuity, I guess. Definitely on our minds. Tell me, what important parts of Juneteenth's history or the meaning that you want to make sure to pass on into future generations and to your kids? Yeah, I think the meaning for me that I've definitely have taught my kids is that injustices are real. Like the whole fact that we are celebrating the fact that we were free two years later in Texas in this part of the country. Mm -hmm. Growing up, my dad, he always taught us nobody owed you anything because of who you are, but wasn't as prepared for was even if you work harder than everybody else, sometimes you still don't get the opportunities that you should because of the way yeah. you look. I also have an immense amount of privilege because of the way I look as a mixed person with lighter skin and light eyes and you know, yeah. there are certain privileges that come with that. So just being aware of those things and I feel like Juneteenth is important to that history because injustices are still 
happening. Yeah. But Juneteenth is a good time for us to just to get together and celebrate because the work is always, it feels like it never ends. Yeah. It feels like it's a day to celebrate everything, mm-hmm. to celebrate and commemorate and remember our ancestors mm-hmm. who went through everything they went through so that we could be here right now talking to each yes. other. It's to recognize and celebrate ourselves for what we've done and what we continue to do. Mm -hmm. And it's also this reflection point. So it sounds like it's much more than just, hey, this is the day that Mm -hmm. the last enslaved people were told that they were finally free. Nicole Rogers, cultural liaison and business liaison for the city of Albuquerque. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for all the work you do. In February, I moderated a town hall featuring leaders in Albuquerque's black community and some of the top brass at the police department. In our Zoom planning meetings, I got to meet Amir Chappell, a brilliant cat who shared with me his compelling life story, a story about losing his freedom and recognizing how precious it is once he regained it. I gave him a call to catch up and to talk to him about what Juneteenth means to him as he traveled from New Mexico to California to take part in the state's pardon program question for you. Do you remember a moment in your life where you were sure about what path you were on or what path you would choose? You know, when you hit rock bottom and you dug yourself into that hole and you hit rock bottom, when you look for a way out, the only way to go out is up. And so when I lost my freedom, that was when I realized, you know, I needed a clear path to get myself out of what I put myself in and educating myself was was the ticket I saw out of all the problems I created for myself. That's when I saw a clear path, you know. I figured I'd study crime and criminology because that's what I knew. I could take my applied experience, contribute it in the academic world and so on. Can you tell me a little bit about what led you to that moment? What life was like before you came to that moment? Life was chaos, impulsive. I was in survival mode. I always had a good mother with a lot of love. So she laid some foundations in me growing up that I kind of ignored and never paid attention to and didn't care about going about life that way. It wasn't getting me nowhere. It was just getting me deeper and deeper into a place I didn't want to be. When I couldn't turn on my own light switches, chose when I wanted to eat and what I wanted to eat and and closed my own doors, it was a reality check that this wasn't the life for me. And uh, the education was my path out of there. You made this decision to get yourself out, to become free. What did you do next? Fortunately, I had a stable place, a loving, warm place to go to, which was my mom's house. Mm -hmm. After four years and eight months of no freedom, she welcomed me with open arms. And it, it was a safe place. And it wasn't the same place we lived where we lived growing up. So that was very helpful. Yes. I came home. And with that stability there, I was able to start going to community college. I got my associates, and then it was time for me to keep going, right? I I felt good. I was like, man, I got this one paper. I'm going to keep going Mm -hmm. and see what I could do. I transferred over to the University of New Mexico. I was going to my auntie's house in Houston. I just happened to stop in Albuquerque. I saw the school there. I went into the African-American Student Affairs. Everybody was welcoming. I applied, and, and that's where I went. Wow. So, you know, it was all because of the Frontier restaurant. But what happened at the Frontier? You went to get some food? 
Exactly. And I saw the school right across the street. And I was like, let me go check this out. This is a university. I like because to me, university was a big deal. I had the word university in it. Yes. I was like, let me check this out. So I studied criminology and sociology. I needed a job. And I felt like the best place for me to work while going to school was at school. Yeah. So I got a job at a research think tank called the Institute for Social Research. And their focus is on criminal justice related issues, probation, parole, policing, corrections, you know, everything from arrest to release. You know, I started working there and I started doing data entry and I started getting more exposure, like going on these different research projects, helping design these different research projects, getting connected to the county, city and state level players in New Mexico that deal with criminal justice system. You know, mm-hmm. the legislators, the DA's office, the chiefs, everybody, the jail administrators. And I started doing all these research projects. Yeah, I'm looking at this. You know, this episode is all about Juneteenth and listening to you coming from this place where your freedom was taken to then emancipating yourself, emancipating your mind. And now you are working with reforming the criminal justice system and how that kind of relates to Juneteenth and this idea of emancipation. Have you ever thought about that? Like, does emancipation and freedom mean something different to you, given your experience? Absolutely. Absolutely. I do not take freedom for granted because it'd be taken from you with the stroke of a pen. Literally, Mm -hmm. the judge signs the adjudication order and you're off to however many years or time that they're taking from you with a stroke of a pen. And so freedom to me is a big deal. I mean, I took it for granted before. I, I never knew what it was to lose it. Mm-hmm. But emancipation and liberation of your minds, as you said, is is key. Yeah. I want to thank you for the work that you've done here in New Mexico and the work that you're doing in California. New Mexico has lost a good one, but hopefully one day you will come back and help us out. Definitely. Amir Chapel, thank you. Thank you again for talking with me, my friend. I appreciate it. Absolutely. No More Normal is brought to you by your New Mexico government, a collaboration between KUNM, New Mexico PBS, and the Santa Fe Reporter. Funding for our coverage comes from the Kellogg Foundation and KUNM listeners like you. Support for public media provided by the Thornburg Foundation. Hear us each week on KUNM Sundays at 11 a.m. Find past episodes online at KUNM.org or wherever you look for podcasts. You're listening to No More Normal. I'm Khalil Ekelona. We are recognizing the Juneteenth holiday and talking to New Mexicans, some born and raised here, others from other parts of the country, about what Juneteenth means to them. What do ideas of freedom and emancipation mean today? How are we going to move forward holding to those ideas? What must be remembered about our history, our collective history? More great conversations coming your way. Stick around. Oh, and happy Father's Day. Earlier in the show, we heard a poem from author Sadiq Abdallah. The lessons of the past and how that determines our future is heavy in his work. Along with artist Kabu M. II, he released a children's book titled Fairy Tales and Scary Tales, a collection of art and poetry. I met up with Sadiq and we talked about his love of writing and what inspires him when he creates. We're talking here. It is Thursday. June 17th, and President Biden announced that Juneteenth has just become an official federal holiday. What are your thoughts on that? My thoughts are mixed, obviously. Anytime we celebrate black people, anytime we celebrate freedom, that's a beautiful thing. Juneteenth in and of itself is a beautiful thing. You know, I do have reservations. I mean, you know, the history of, you know, we're talking about Juneteenth is celebrated as the last legally enslaved 
at least in uh, chattel slavery, people being free from that, but that was because of the Emancipation Proclamation, mm-hmm. which we also know did not actually free anyone from slavery. It only freed slaves from people who were warring with the North, who were warring against President Lincoln. So I'm happy to celebrate freedom, but I am cautious, for a better word, in taking the full exuberance in it, you know what I'm saying? Mm. It is nice that the chattel slavery ended, but slavery ended up itself in the other form, you know, only for places that oppose the union and not for punishment of a crime. But anytime black people are happy and celebrate, I'm going to celebrate it. What do you think about the interesting dynamic that that places? Because we have critical race theory, which is about teaching the actual history of the United States, teaching how systemic racism was embedded into the fabric of the country, where it's led us to where we're at today. There are people, particularly a lot of conservatives, who are saying, hey, we don't want to discuss this. Why are you trying to rewrite history? We need to ignore this. Yet here, the federal government just passed Juneteenth, recognizing that day in Galveston, Texas, where the last people were told that they were free. It seems to be a little bit of a a national contradiction in a sense. It is, especially in the country. I mean, we're here in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and one of the things that baffled me, you know, we talk about Juneteenth is, you know, people celebrate Thanksgiving, even people of native descent or people of Latin descent. A lot of them, you know, have ties to native culture, even a lot of, uh, you know, African people here. A holiday, a celebration in and of itself. We're still living in a capitalist society. When I see Juneteenth being presented in this way, I do wonder about the legitimacy of it. I wonder about the actual feeling of it. I think a lot of it is done for commercials. You know, you, you want to be down. Once 2020 hit, we were locked in. Everyone was, you know, excited and zoomed about things. And I think that they want to maintain that financial gain that you can get. You know, you got Netflix and all types of companies have, you know, we have black things for black people. Now we got Tiffany Haddish doing a thing for the culture mm-hmm. where normally we wouldn't have had probably a comedian of that renown doing a show of that nature, but mm. it's a commercial thing. Yeah. In a large extent. You know, I do believe that there's some genuine feelings in it, but I think it's generally a commercial thing. Yeah. I hear that. Now you're an author, artist, poet, musician, educator. Organizer. Tell me about the pieces you write. I was born to a man who had experienced a lot of negative things, and his intention was to provide me with positivity and power as a child. So I was always taught to be different than the environment that I was in. Mm. As a child, it was difficult to accept, but as an adult, I started to see the beauty in it. So when I have conversations with people and I go back to the lessons that I learned from my father as a child, my writing is usually a reflection of that energy that I was blessed with mixed with the circumstance and situation that I've had with people, you know, the conversations. And then I've been able to see how the world works. A lot of things my dad told me, you know, you you haven't been in love, hadn't had your heart broken. When you're a child, you're very wide eyed. Mm -hmm. Life experiences combined with that foundation and the conversations with like humans is how I get my poetry. You're going to share another piece with us, right? Certainly, if you like me to, I'd be happy to do that. I'd love to. Okay. So from Parallels, I'm going to do this piece. This is called Love Jones. It's like this, along the same lines, Love Jones. Okay. Let me explain. I got a love that's off the chain. No better slang. It's off the easy. I've got an intimate relationship with language. It's love, believe me. I go stated with my vocabulary. She swore she never leave me. Told me I should try to trust her. I told her it ain't that easy. Cause every time I talk till I'm out of breath, she give me mouth to mouth and keep me breathing. To think about it, 
She's the only reason I haven't really lost my mind. She's been my shelter and security and stayed with me all this time. And to think there was a time I didn't know that she existed. As a youth I was confused, my intellect totally twisted. I've always known that I was different. What I didn't realize that she was by my side and therefore I was gifted. But them kids I went to school with told me I talked too much and I thought too much. And that kept me out of clicks kept me from hanging with the homies. I had to roam the hallways lonely. When my peers were planning parties, I'm composing what if and if onlys. Words became my main escape. I rested my head on written shoulders. And although she constantly confided me, I was still too scared to hold it. Told her, even if I didn't show it, she had my full appreciation. I just didn't want them other kids to know that words were my sole salvation. See, I imagine I'd be embarrassed and the source of my gratification. She ain't say Nathan. And I asked to please to answer me, but she just sat there waiting, patient. The silence, I couldn't take it. Suddenly I felt cold and naked. And I reached inside for inner strength, but the inside of me was vacant. My heart was heavy. My mind was hollow. Felt constricted. I couldn't swallow. I'm like, all right, now you can leave me and I promise I'm going to follow. When do we begin this journey? She said the day before tomorrow. I'm like, all right. But I wasn't convinced then. I'm still too busy trying to fit in, but she refused to let me get left behind. She put over, told me to get in. I got in and ever since then, I must admit she made things better. Now I can shine despite the weather. And as you can see, she just ain't good for me, but we're all so good together. That's why I never let her go. You probably never heard a better flow. I got a love Jones to spread in love and light. And I just spit it with Khalil on his radio show. Love Jones. COVID-19 put a lot of pressure on schools and teachers to adapt how students are educated. Such a big challenge. What's even harder than that? Try launching a new school during a global pandemic. Jerron Campbell, the founder and principal of ACES, a STEM school, did just that. As he was traveling back to New Mexico with his wife, he pulled over and gave me a few minutes from the road. ACES Technical Charter School is the name of the school. It is a STEM-focused school. My actual background is in engineering. And so when I wrote the plan for this school, it was very important to me to provide opportunities for students in the STEM fields. It got approved a couple of years ago as a state charter. And uh, we were the only school, I believe, in New Mexico to open this year during the COVID year. What was that like? Oh, it's challenging, <laughs> for sure. Uh, you know, one good thing about having a background in technology is that I ensured that the school was very heavy in terms of our resources with technology. It really helped to make the pivot from in-class instruction to online instruction. So every student received a HP laptop. All the teachers, of course, received laptops. But I also put cameras and large screen monitors in the classroom. And so it kind of made the classroom feel more like a regular classroom because you could see all the students on the big screen. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of creating that environment and making sure that the teachers had the resources they needed helped us to actually hold live classes every day virtually. We didn't miss one class the whole school year. Wow. That's remarkable to be a brand new school and didn't miss one class. Did you learn something in this last year of establishing this brand new school? during the middle of a global pandemic. Did you learn things that you were now going to have in effect at the school in perpetuity? Like what new innovations did you all come up with that you're going to keep? I would say one in particular was to use an LMS, uh, a learning management system. 
um, those programs kind of help the teacher to manage their classroom. They could put all their assignments in there. Um, they could track their grades and different things like that. That wasn't something I was necessarily going to do from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And uh, the teachers really enjoyed being able to do that. And they were able to use that tool, whether it's in-class, in-person uh, instruction, which we were able to do at the end of the year, or virtual. They really enjoyed having that capability to manage their classroom in that way. So I'm definitely intending to keep that particular resource available to the teachers. Other than that, I mean, it was, it's interesting because I, if anything, I'd made a huge effort to try to make it feel like regular school. You know, we purchased instruments for every student. And so we were able to teach guitar this whole year, despite the pandemic. But again, that will just continue, uh, you know, because I feel like even though we're in STEM school, we want to provide students with a very well-rounded education and music is a big part of that. So I bought these flight simulators. Really, the students were able to compete against one another who can, you know, take off and land in the most attempts without crashing, right? Mm-hmm. And we had a great community resource uh, gentleman who does that type of work with students, he was able to really support the school this year. So it was a great partnership with a community member and uh, the school was able to provide the resources and we had the human resource in that partner and it worked out really well uh, for the students. They were really excited about that particular program. And so that was something that was really good uh, that came out of the pandemic. I can hear the excitement in your voice. Talk to me about what inspired you to create this school. I've worked in four school districts prior to starting my own school. I also did a couple of national training programs for school leaders. And so I learned a lot, you know, and I just felt as though I could do things differently and I could really create a school that would produce the kind of results I would be looking for in terms of the academic outcomes of our kids. I mean, right now, if you look at the data, it's not very good. In an effort to improve those outcomes, I just felt like it would be good for me to start a school of my own, really try to get the programming and the research-based academic things in place that I I feel would work, you know, to help Mm -hmm. improve those outcomes. Did you and your educators and staff have discussions with the students about what was happening? I mean, we had the Black Lives Matter movement take off and a lot of hate really countered it. And I'm sure the students were very aware of what was happening. What type of discussions did you have with staff, with students, with parents about the situation we were going through last year? Interestingly enough, our students were only in sixth grade, but they're extremely well connected. I mean, it's nothing like when we were, you know, young. Oh, yeah. Um, and at least for me. Mm-hmm. Me too. Me too. These students are very connected. They're chatting online constantly to one another. Some of them are really paying attention to what's going on in the world. Some of those discussions come up in class and obviously in classes like uh, English and Social studies were definitely, they kind of aligned to the curriculum. We also had a social emotional learning component to our program. In uh, certain classes and during our advisory class, we were able to bring up topics such as how to respect others, uh, what to do in certain situations if you don't feel right about them, and also things like bullying, but also current events uh, would come up uh, in class. And when you had to write a paper and you give students an opportunity, to express themselves, right, Mm -hmm. Uh, in terms of what might be going on around them and how they feel about it. Do you feel that the students responded to that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I've heard, as I observe classes, for instance, some very um, interesting comments uh, from students. Um, And even though they're very young, again, we only they were sixth graders this year, um, some of them are very, you know, keen on expressing their opinion, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and making sure that their voices are heard. So, 
Um, so yeah, I mean, absolutely. There were some good discussions in class and some great back and forth between not just the teacher and the students, but the students um, uh, among themselves. You know, we're talking about Juneteenth and emancipation and freedom. Tell me, what does emancipation or freedom, what does that mean to you? Obviously, it's very important. Uh, you know, I mean, as, a, as an African-American person, you know, sometimes I've actually thought about that in terms of what would it have been like to have been born in the early 1800s, mm -hmm. right, in this country. I mean, yeah. particularly, obviously, in certain places, you were there wasn't an option. You were going to be a slave, you know. Yeah. So to be born in that environment, to be raised in that environment, and to have to endure those things by no choice of your own, man, it's just, it's phenomenal. I don't even think we comprehend, you know, today what that must have been like, you yeah. know. I think it's safe to say that they didn't want that life by choice. When you think about the freedoms we have today, right? And again, education is one of the reasons why I'm really strong on education is it plays such a vital role in helping us to uplift ourselves and to get beyond, right, all of these traditional barriers and things that we've had to endure. It means a lot, you know, to have the opportunity to reach one's potential, to participate in the government, to participate in the economy versus not having that right at all. Yeah. And it's important that we not forget, but it's something that hopefully will continue to motivate us to move forward. Jerron Campbell is the principal of ACES Public Schools, a STEM school here in New Mexico. Thanks for taking time to talk with us. Really appreciate it. No, absolutely. I appreciate you giving me the opportunity. A few years ago during Black History Month, I was a part of a sort of TED Talks event. There, I heard the story of Melody Wells, who dazzled the audience with tales of her career in celebrity reporting when she worked for People Magazine in New York City. I would often call her seeking advice on how to interview celebrities and the like. She would always oblige and give me great, great advice. We got together this week on my front porch and talked about Juneteenth, life, and what brought her from New York to New Mexico. I moved to New Mexico with my wife. She was born and raised here in Albuquerque. We moved back here for her to attend nursing school. She, yeah, we've been here since 2014, so this will be the seventh year of seven living, year, living here in New Mexico, do, yeah. Do you have this seven-year itch in the land of enchantment? Interestingly, I kind of feel a little more settled here now, like it's really a place I live, whereas before I felt like oh, well, we're here right now, you know? Yeah. It may not stay here forever. And it's still true that we may not stay here forever, but I feel a little bit more settled here now than than ever before. Okay. You're from Philly. I'm from Philly, And there's yes. a ton of black... I'm from Baltimore. There's a ton of black folks yes. in, on the East Coast. Philly, Baltimore, yes. New York, D.C. Uh-huh. Not so much the case in New Mexico. <laughs> no, not, well, not it, so much. Was it a culture shock for you? Absolutely. I have never lived in a place where there were so few African-American people or people of African descent at all. Mm -hmm. I feel like I've experienced here being seen as like a like a unique. I don't know. I feel like I've, I've actually been stared at wow. and looked at like what's going on there hmm. or something like people don't quite expect you to turn around a corner. Hmm. in New Mexico and be black okay, um, or to, um, you know, be in a park and be black or 
you know, go in a store and be black in New Mexico. Like they're not expecting to see black people here. Okay. I feel like that has happened to me where I've been kind of looked at like, oh, wow. Okay. You know, and I pay more attention to how other people respond to me here than I think I did in New York or Philly. You mentioned something about how people respond to you. Elaborate on that. Yeah, I think that you blend in more in New York and Philly. There are many other black people or African-American people or people of African descent in those places. You don't stand out because you are African-American. Yeah. You can stand out for other reasons. What people notice about you when you walk into a room or when you're meeting new people is your clothing, your style, how you choose to present yourself in the world. They're expecting that black people may present in many different ways based on our tastes, our likes and dislikes, the things that we culturally, you know, gravitate to or whatever, the way we want to present ourselves. And so a wider palette of choices is expected and people respond to you based on that rather than your skin color and hair texture or whatever alone or the way you speak alone. Okay. Here I have... I'm not going to say that I've totally experienced this or like in every situation, but I've been a little more attuned to trying to figure out what other people are trying to figure out about me. Ah. If that makes sense, you know. What do the ideas of emancipation and freedom, what do they mean to you and how do you feel them in your life? I am not sure that I like feel them as Mm. much as I'm aware of them as like concepts you know what i mean certainly i personally know that i have much more agency in my own life and determining what i do with my life Mm -hmm. than really any of my ancestors before me i mean when you really think about it i have more agency than my parents you know my dad when he was in high school they put him in like a technical high school because all the black boys were expected to do technical manual work. Mm-hmm. That was not a choice that he could make. Yeah. They put him in a school for that. He went on to go to college and study journalism himself. There were more options available, but if you're a high schooler and people try to shuttle you into one place, you're limited, you know? Yeah. My mom, a similar thing, although her high school was a general ed college prep type thing she was basically told like well what the black girls do is they become teachers or nurses and sometimes police officers and so she chose to be a teacher you know and she tells me this a lot yeah Mm -hmm. she tells me that a lot she's like I wish somebody would have told me I could be a doctor and she's like I could have been but when you only know what people have told you you can do then that's a limit it's Mm -hmm. a real limit it's as real as a fence with barbed wire around it. So I think about that and conceptually I realize that I have freedom and agency in ways that previous generations in my very own family did not. Mm-hmm. How does the pandemic, how did that adjust your thinking about freedom or emancipation or even Juneteenth in this and where we're at currently? You know, I can't even say that the pandemic adjusted my thinking about freedom and an- anticipation. I don't think that it did. I was really spending a lot more time on social media than is probably even healthy, but I was looking at how the whole world was undergoing the same thing at once. And it really hit me how connected we all are as humans. Like this planet is gigantic, Mm -hmm. but 
we are all susceptible to the same biological threats. It's like amazing. It's it's a yes. huge place. There's so many different cultures. There's so many different values. There's so many different foods. And you can't even imagine how many personalities there are in the world. And yet everybody was wearing their masks. Everybody was social distancing in every country. Yeah. It felt like this unifying thing to me, honestly, made me feel less alone to look at how other people were all going through the same thing. We were all shut down. We were all making food at home and not eating out because we couldn't. And people were not working in lots of places and suffering economically all over the world. And it was like... And a a call for racial justice rang all over the world. Oh, gosh, yes. And so much happened in 2020. My goodness. Yeah. Too much. Too much happened, honestly. And I feel like we're only now starting to be able to breathe and think about it and unpack, like, everything that happened. I never lived under the illusion that this was over. And when I say this, what I actually am referring to is not quite slavery, but the caste system in our country. I never, ever had the luxury of ever thinking to myself that it didn't matter that I was black in terms of how I would operate in the world. So it didn't totally surprise me when all of that happened, but it really did make me quite annoyed and angry at different points because I was like, here's the people posting these black squares, talking about they care, talking about racial justice, and here's people right here in Albuquerque that I have a passing knowledge of that don't reach out deeper to deepen the relationship. And that's Mm. okay, because I don't want in gen- non-genuine like friends people in my life I get that but it just bothered me to see folks who are not black here in Albuquerque finding all these people to say oh, look I know this because I'm following that person or that person or whatever I reposted I retweeted XYZ yeah yeah and I'm just like y'all don't even talk to us like yeah. you don't don't talk to us like we're regular people it's one thing to see something and respond empathetically empathetically uh, on social media that it's mm-hmm. another thing to actually go beyond that mm-hmm. go beyond the screen mm-hmm. and get to know the people right. who it affects deeply yeah. get to know them as real human beings yeah not just on that topic but yeah. on everything that makes them who they are i saw this meme recently that talked about it said something like no it's not hard for me to be black it's hard to deal with the way y'all treat me Mm. like being black is not hard Mm -hmm. it's just another way to be i love it until i'm being treated differently because i'm black i don't have hardship like about my skin color so it's really not about me or the skin color it's actually about the world Mm. it's not a burden at all but society burdens us and that's what we're talking about ending Melody Wells, you're wonderful. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Khalil. You are wonderful. I really appreciate you. Thank you. Back again to share a few more words with us, Sadiq Abdallah. All right, so this is a longer piece, but this is called We Are Magnificent. We are the architects of intellectual aristocracy, the forebearers, the forefathers of intellectual property, the progenitors, the genesis of science, math, philosophy, When analyzed improperly, some say we may possibly be on par with Plato, maybe Aristotle, Socrates. I laugh at the hypocrisy, the utter disrespect. They know that we are African, we come from Imhotep. They ain't get it yet. 
our foundation is supreme. We are special beings, artistically and physically and everything between. And all that really means there's a reason time refers to ordinary things. But we are a different lineage. We exist to exemplify the mirrors of our images. If we are not gods, then we are godly. We represent them. If we are a reflection of God, then we represent him. But hold up. Our divinity is duality. Our dreams do not defer. If we are created in the image of God, then we represent her. Hold up. We are God's image. So that means we are twinning. And we already know what happens in the battle between good and evil. So that means we are winning. Wait a minute. We winning. Wait a minute. We twinning. We twinning, winning, winning, twinning, twinning, winning, winning, twinning, twinning and winning and winning and twinning, twinning and winning from the very beginning. So here we are, right? In this juxtaposition, same place, same time, the nexus of collected consciousness, body, soul and mind. We are so divine that even when we didn't see it deep down, we always knew it. There is work that must be done and we are the ones to do it. Our power purifies the water. Our spirit sanctifies the fluid. Our very presence consecrates. Together, we create a sacred space, a healthy, happy, holy space. These hallways are hallowed. We're going to spread so much love and so much light that we will cast no shadows. We will take the mantle, continue with the battle. And I know it seems that we didn't seen it all and heard it all and done it all before, but that's because we've been here for infinity and we are still at war. The world promotes its images as it's supposed to do. It's no surprise that their reflections of God don't look like me and you, but that's cool. We know that when it comes to saving life, we are the true Haru. They make designs on our destruction, but let me say this to you. Our defeat is improbable, power unstoppable. We got a prototype for the proof of the impossible. We are supposed to be. Our accomplishments are incomparable. We are magnificent. How magnificent are we? My brother, I said our accomplishments are incomparable. We are so magnificent, we only let our feet touch the ground to keep other people comfortable. We are regal and remarkable. Should they question our commitment, let me make this crystal clear. We are beings of love, light, but our purpose is promise and power. We are supposed to be here. We are magnificent. Next week on No More Normal, reopening is happening and our lives are getting back to normal. Wait, there is no more normal, right? Do we move on and pick it all back up like nothing happened? More than 600,000 people died in the U.S., there have been millions of deaths from COVID globally. People lost loved ones and friends. We all lost our old lives. In episode 33, we look at the grief we experienced and the transformation that hit us all and ask, how do we do this? That's next week on The Mono. As always, we want to thank our guests for offering their ideas, insights, and expertise with us. Special thanks to Jazz Tone, the producer, Cheo, Dom Life, Business School, Sundog, and Olaud Records for providing music to the show. Khaki, Pope Yes Yes Y'all, and Bigawatt produced some of the show's themes. No More Normal is executive produced by Marisa DeMarco. It is hosted and produced by yours truly. I'm Khalil Ekulona. For everyone here at No More Normal, thanks for listening. <laughs>